You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. But we digress. Hello, Will. Hello, David. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to our Jurassic Park mini-series of science review thing that we're doing for June. We have done two episodes so far as we watch each Jurassic Park movie again and consider the science. This episode, we are talking about Jurassic Park 3. As with the other episodes so far, we're reviewing the movies, but since we're not film critics, we're not talking about acting or, or filmmaking type art, but we are scientists, so we are reviewing the science. Not just the little nitpicky things, but the broad subject, the broad context where the science intersects the pop culture. As we said, today's subject is Jurassic Park 3, released in 2001. Universal Studios, as always, directed by Joe Johnston. In this movie, Dr. Alan Grant is convinced to return to Site B, the other island, where everybody goes to the island and they get stuck and things go terribly wrong and there's dinosaurs and they attack people. Pretty familiar stuff. <laughs> as always... We are putting up the spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the movie and you care about that, don't listen to this because we're going to talk about a lot of the stuff that happens in it. Turn back now. Well, let's jump right in then and start the place that we always like to start by talking about the critters. Will, what are some of the new critters that we get to see in Jurassic Park 3? We get to see a few new ones. The Big deal one, which we'll be discussing quite heavily, uh, most likely during this discussion, is the Spinosaurus, the yes. new big predator of the movie. A couple of other herbivores. We get a, a Corythosaurus, another uh, a crested duck-billed hadrosaur. We do. I almost missed it. I know. They go by really quick. They do. They, they, they stampede across. Uh, I always liked them because my brother's named Cory, and so it was his dinosaur when we were little. <laughs> and then we get some ankylosauruses. We do. Just just yes, for a yes. moment beneath their tree. And then finally, the only time, and it's only there for like a few seconds, but the only time I've ever gotten to see one of my favorite dinosaurs on the big screen is a Ceratosaurus shows up and yes, it does. Sniffs, the, sniffs them when they're covered in poo, gives a, a weird comedic look at the camera, and then walks away. Yeah, it's an <laughs> odd moment. Showing off its, showing off its nose yep. one. And then we also get some of the old things, right? We see a T-Rex. We see the Velociraptors. Yep. We get updates for a lot of things. We see updated Velociraptors. We also get to see pterosaurs actually do something. The Pteranodons actually get to play a role yes, in this do. story. They have a scene. We see a few others that just kind of pop up in the background. We do. One of the things that we, you know, we've talked each episode so far about sort of where the science was at this time and how that relates to the film and one of the things that really st stands out to me is that they chose to include Spinosaurus. Yes. This is a dinosaur that wasn't in the books uh, that they, they sort of picked out of, out of current events. Through the 1990s, Spinosaurus and its cousins, the Spinosaurids, were getting a lot more study and a lot more attention. So this was a dinosaur that was seeing a bit of revived popularity in real-life paleontology that they decided to put into the movie, which I think is actually really cool. It's really nice that they, they did that. Yeah, that they were, they were trying to bring in, you know, recent discoveries, you know, species-wise. Of course, the biggest feature of the Spinosaurus, I think, 
is that it fits this trope that we've been talking about for the last couple episodes. We, we keep bringing up this term, monsterification. Uh, copyright, Common Sense Podcast. <laughs> the Spinosaurus is a big old monster. It so is. Uh, and I don't mean that like like it's a beast. I mean, it's a, it's a movie monster. In the shape of a dinosaur. In the shape of a dinosaur. And it starts to show some of the 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 classic signatures of when you'll see a movie take an animal and adjust it to be a movie monster make it start behaving in ways that make less sense as an animal and more sense as a monster and really a lot of these things that fall into this list is if you just think about the classic slasher movie characters Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers those yeah. s- semi Jason is fully, but Michael is one of those where he's semi-supernatural killers. You know, he seems to be immune to danger. He seems to be super strong, even though just should just be a dude. It's a lot of those (laughs) things. They have immaculate timing and are always in the wrong place at the right time to kill someone. Yep, they're able to, they know where people are going to be. They catch up even though they're not running. Yep, and so a lot of those things fall into what they do to creatures, which makes sense when you're trying to make a monster. The biggest two, I I think the most obvious two that we see with the Spinosaurus is that it has the superhero durability and super strength. Yes, it does. Thing that that, that movies like to give animals super strength to make them more intimidating. The Spinosaurus is like beating up a plane. It's bashing apart planes it's running through <laughs> it's run the the one part that really gets me is when it runs through a fence obviously made to hold back dinosaurs of its size yeah when you say fence this isn't like a picket fence yes. this is a huge topped with it's not even barbed wire no it's, it's they're like, like railroad spikes <laughs> yes <laughs> the whole thing's made of giant metal poles and stuff it shoves its face through the airplane yes it does through the metal and glass of the of the the side of the airplane it's kicking it around it headbutts a crane it just just smashes it with its <laughs> face when the spinosaurus and the t-rex are fighting uh, not only does it finish the the fight by throwing the t-rex yes <laughs> uh, they're all they knock over a tr- at least one tree yeah yeah not like a sapling like a tree they're this sort of force of nature this supernatural almost you know, they got super strength. They've got the, the monstery super strength. And the, thing, the thing that also tends to go along with that, which is almost always, and I mean, it's there for even uh, very lightly monstrified animals in movies, but is that hyper aggression. Yes. And that is, man, does Spinosaurus have that in spades? It yeah, it's is all out to kill everything. <laughs> like <laughs> it kills, it kills a dude. It immediately somehow catches up with the crashed plane and kills the plane. And <laughs> like as soon as it locks eyes with T Rex, it goes to kill the T Rex. There's even the line that says that it's attracted by your T Rex urine to yeah. look for a fight. I guess I don't know what that why I that guess would be. Maybe... They're suggesting that it's territorial. Yeah. That's kind of the impression I get that they're like, okay, it's super territorial, uh, which isn't so unfathomable, but it's it feeds into that this is a scary, aggressive thing rather than this is an animal acting like, you know, we don't, it doesn't ever seem curious like the T-Rex did in the first Jurassic Park. It, it's, if something moves, it's going to try to kill it. And, and there are 
hyper aggressive animals today. Like there are definitely animals that are behaviorally noted to be extremely aggressive. Saltwater crocodiles are one of those. There are certain breeds of dogs that are noted to be much more aggressive because of how they were bred. You know, so I mean, you get a lot of that stuff in nature, but that doesn't mean that they're that way all the time. And that also doesn't mean that they're constantly ready to fight to the death. Yeah, it's got that heightened aggression, that durability, which we'll talk about more next movie. <laughs> but the other animals, too, there, there's throughout them, there's this interesting thread in Jurassic Park 3 of a couple of cool new things mixed in with these more so than we've seen before, these movie monster like attributes to them. Uh, let's talk about the pterosaurs. Yes, the pterosaurs definitely they definitely have some of that hyper aggression. So in this one, we get to see them go inside a, a giant, a big birdhouse. Yes. And encounter some pterosaurs, some pteranodons that are that have been stuck in there and immediately are beset upon them. So it's got a little bit of that hyper... And I, you could argue that maybe they've been trapped in a cage, so they're starving. Uh, yeah. You know, food is... You know, there's a river running through it, so I assume they're, they've been catching fish, but eh, you could argue that these, these are starving animals, even though they seem to be a bunch of them that are having babies, so only so starving. But they... It's one of those things where it was cool to see them, but they also have a lot of things that they do that are not possible. Uh, first and foremost, having teeth. They do have teeth. I noticed that. Yep. Looking close. I will say I really liked seeing the pterosaurs walk quadrupedally. That was actually very cool in how they made them move around. I really like well Because that's now the confirmed way that we understand them to have moved. Yeah, yeah. That they were quadrupedal walkers. And for all the other weird stuff about this movie, the moment where the pterosaur walks out of the fog yes. on the bridge is really cool. It's really, it's, it has still some neat moments. I really did like that. And the way they, they had the babies move around, I thought was really cool too. That they were yeah. on all fours and then they would just kind of like hop and flap to move to places, but they weren't fluttering around like a swarm. Yes. That was that was definitely a nice touch. They also do movies. Fa I pterosaurs. I feel so bad for pterosaurs. I've said this before. Like dinosaurs, at least some movies try. I don't think pterosaurs in movies have improved since like the 30s. No, no, not really. The biggest thing, of course, and, and this movies do this. I don't know a movie that doesn't do this. They have talon feet. Yes, they do. They grab people and they pick them up. And we don't have to go into the details of why they can't do that. There's strength limitations and the fact mm -hmm. but the, the big thing is of course the fact that their feet don't bend that way we saw this at the end of the second movie there's a pterosaur that perches mm -hmm. speaking of the second movie there's a little moment at the end of this one this is a side note where the door is left unlocked to the the pterosaur house yeah and then at the end we see them flying away and the implication there is like oh you left the door open and now the pterosaurs are out yep but there was a pterosaur just flying around in the second one. I was going to say, that was that was one of the things I noticed. <laughs> uh, I had it here in my notes. That we saw one flying around. This is supposed to be the same island. Yeah. But now they're in a cage. It, it also, that is one thing this movie has. The island is portrayed differently. It's much more ramshackle and run down and post-apocalyptic feeling. While it is. we only see one facility like that in lost world 
the rest of the island is much more just a verdant paradise of dinosaurs being in their environment. And that's another thing I, I was going to mention. So it's, and it kind of goes a, along with the monster stuff. And this was something I noticed. I remembered the Spinosaurus being more monstery than it than I than it was upon rewatching this movie because it's got it's doing you know it's punching things around, but it's not you know it doesn't do anything so ridiculous that that it threw me off. And I realized that the reason I remember the dinosaurs in this movie being more monstery than I even noticed them upon rewatching is because the movie keeps framing them that way. Yes, they do. In the the beginning of the movie, people keep saying like they're they're getting army, they like like these these military style dudes. Grant's like, there's no such thing as safe on this island. We have to leave the island now. You'll be lucky if you get off this island alive. The big beefy guys who were blowing up airplanes run into the forest, apparently see the Spinosaurus and come wetting themselves running back out. Yep. There's this, the the movie builds up the island as a place of death and mon- like That's where I think the monster stuff is most heavily suggested, not even in, when the dinosaurs are in the scene. Absolutely. And this, this will be, this will be slightly cutting into topics we'll get into a little bit later in this discussion, but to harp on that monster metaphor, we made the point in the first one that Grant goes out of his way to say they're not monsters, they're animals. Yes, in this movie, in this one, he actually completely flips. And the whole point is that he's supposed to have been jaded due to his experience in the first movie, but he yes. has a line at the beginning where he said, dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. The only ones that are left are fossilized in rocks. What Hammond and Engine created are movie monsters, nothing more, nothing less. Yes, the movie is framing them very differently in this film. And I feel like they, because they, it's, there's times where it feels like they're trying to say that, yes, they are monsters. And then other times where it's like, no, you've been jaded. Here's a, a heartwarming river moment with the dinosaurs. And, <laughs> and then the end when the pterosaurs are flying away, it's hopeful almost like it's like a, almost a hopeful. And so I can't, it's, it's like they keep going back and forth on whether they're monsters or not. Some of them are shown to be sympathetic. Some of them are shown to be monstrous, which is very odd. The dinosaurs don't have a, a common theme like they did in the first one where these are just animals that are sometimes dangerous. Some of them are monsters because the compies still get that f- treatment. When he hears that there are compies, he shuts the, the hatch to his little truck that the kid's been hiding in because, you know, oh, I, I can deal with raptors, but compies, uh-uh. You know, <laughs> that kind of mentality. I wanna... I want to come back to that point uh, before we finish this section up. But let's talk about the raptors. Let's let's make some notes about raptors real quick. The raptors are interesting in this one. They've there's some cool new stuff. They've got feathers. Yep. They got some that quills. Was, that was sort of they all look quills. Um, I love that they're sexually dimorphic. I know. That was the such males a, and females look different. That's a so subtle cool. touch. I liked that they and they don't harp on it. And it also seems to be a uh, a matriarch. Uh, female that she's the one leading the pack yeah yeah which was a cool interpretation especially if you know if as reptiles like some do you know if they were different sizes if the female was bigger that makes sense and they show her to be the more dominant the more impressive also like more calm and calculating but 
And they continue a little bit that theme of parenthood. Yes, they do. And sociality that, that we saw in the second movie. Group nesting, protecting of their eggs, and working together to protect. You know, it's one of those where the entire pack works to protect the eggs, not just parental. Yes, which we see in some animals. Yes, we That's do. the thing we've seen. And of course, they, they continue the notion of them being super intelligent. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned in the first movie that I'm always interested to see how they choose to portray intelligence. And it's weird in this one. <laughs> this one, yeah, this one goes pretty far with it. <laughs> like Grant starts in the beginning where he, if, if they hadn't gone extinct, they might have been the dominant species on the planet instead of us. And then by the end of the movie, they're having a parlay with the humans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they're negotiating the return of the eggs that they stole. And it's a lit. It, it's interesting because they, they don't even seem like monsters to me in that scene. They seem like aliens. Yeah. They seems like a, a species that we don't speak the same language. And we're try- it's like when they're talking to the alien in Independence Day. But perhaps in another lifetime, we could have been friends. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's got kind of that we are equals just of two different worlds. The weird thing for me, because in the first one, you mentioned it was weird that they used door opening as a sign of intelligence. In this one, their whole, Grant's whole realization that they were actually hyper intelligent is based off their resonating chamber. Yeah, that they're communicative. That they can make noises. <laughs> but and we saw the but we we knew that in the first one. We knew that. And it's also one of those things where it's like, yes, but parrots can make noises, and not all parrots are <laughs> actually intelligent. They're just good they can learn sounds and songs. But they're yes. not pro, you know, there's not not all parrots can solve puzzles like a crow or it, it that's a weird one for the fact that just because they can make complicated noises does not mean they were <laughs> That they were definitely talking and hyper-intelligent. Yeah, there'll be some more to say about that uh, when we talk on the about the science in the movie. But then there are a couple of moments where the raptors do get a little monstery. That's classic yeah. monstery stuff. The, the main one, and I thought this was so funny, because the first thing we see a raptor do in this movie is jump through glass. Yes, it does. I don't know what it is with these. They love having the raptors jump through glass. They it jumps through the glass and the uh, it after it's posed dramatically. Yeah, after it's pretending to be a, a cadaver thing, <laughs> and then they kill poor Udesky. I liked Udesky. Yeah, they kill him for no reason. Like the one raptor, almost like angrily. It's almost like a sign to the other people. They kill him, and this is something I noticed watching it this time. They kill him in a very weird way because it's also the same way the Spinosaurus takes on the T-Rex by breaking their neck. Yeah. They snap their neck true. like an action hero in a movie, which, first off, is not how you kill people. Like, that doesn't actually work. <laughs> you can't snap someone's neck that easily. And even if you did, you could just very likely paralyze them but not kill them. Like, right, right. that's not how necks work. Also... <laughs> Why in the world do animals know to just snap an animal's neck? That's a weird thing that they use twice with two different animals in this. Yeah, it's. I like your your comparison to action movie. It's an action they're movie. They're like move. action movie. Am- they're jumping through glass. They're crack snapping necks. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, yeah. That's it was weird. When I was little, I always just thought he had bitten his head and started to eat him. And then on this time, I realized no, no, he snapped his neck and then left. 
I was I always thought it was weird that he started eating him from the head because that's not where I, the I used meat to think is. the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's they have a little bit and it's part of that hyper intelligence that they're trying to portray them as super intelligent, but it's almost to the point where they're they're it's not realistic. It's not a believable <laughs> thing of you're you're doing things that are counterintuitive to what an animal would need to do. Yeah. So the dinosaurs, the animals in general in this movie are this odd mixture of some cool, you know, animal stuff, some cool dinosaur stuff, and then being like action stars doing doing that monster, more more movie monstery stuff. It's a weird balance. One other thing that I noticed talking about sort of the framing of the film, and this is a really minor thing, but compared to the last two movies... There are no moments in Jurassic Park 3 where there are any threats that aren't animals. Yes, that was something that stood out in this one. The the, the animals are trials for the main characters to get past. They have to survive the Spinosaurus, then they have to survive the raptors, then they have to survive the Pteranodons, then they have to survive the Spinosaurus again. Yeah, in the other movie, there was the car falling down the tree. There was the trailer thing. There's the electric fence. Like yeah. the dinosaurs are among the the dangers you encounter. You know, dealing with all this stuff. In this movie, it's dinosaurs, bad and scary. Yeah, that's the only threat you could. Po- if the, it, it it it's as though if there weren't dinosaurs, being trapped on this island would be perfectly fine. Yep. They're the big threat. They're the, the, the creature, the demon creatures of the island. One of the other things that's missing from this one, we get the one scene where they're on the river and all the dinosaurs come over to look at them. And that's supposed to be a touching moment. But in the other two, not only do we get to have cool, beautiful moments with the dinosaurs, we also have moments where the people help the dinosaurs. Yeah, I noticed that too. We got, there's no, this, 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 this movie, there's no sick triceratops. Nope. There's no baby dinosaurs that we have like a touching moment with. There's no singing brachiosaurs. It's basically all just scary dinosaurs with a couple of benign dinosaurs here and there when they're sleeping in the tree. There's some hungry ankylosaurs. There's the dinosaurs on the river. And that's it. But they're in the background. They're in the they're background. Sort of background is is the, the sweetest they ever are is when they're in the background. Yep. When they're... when when we're able to focus on the characters and not them being almost killed. So let's talk about the science, right? Moving on from the critters to, to talk about the paleontology in the movie, sort of what's its, what's its uh, attitude towards the science itself. Uh, we got another fossil site. We did get another fossil site and we, we have two paleontologists again. We do. So, yeah, we had like one and a half. One and a half. One, uh, a, <laughs> Billy's, a, Billy's in training. Yep, exactly. A, a paleontologist <laughs> and, and his uh, his pupil. Yes. So we, we definitely got some scientists on there. We've got a fossil site. We do have part of a scientific lecture even shown. and We do. We have some discussion of their most recent findings and what those entail and things like that. It's there in the first 20 minutes yes there's actually a lot of interesting science stuff in those first all my science notes come from the first 20 minutes first 20 minutes uh when they're at the fossil site uh which is in montana yep i yep. actually i really like that 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 billy is talking to that young lady and she says i can never tell what's rock and what's bone yep 
Like, that's a real struggle. Yep. That's straight out of the field. I like his response is also a good answer. Technically, it's it's all rock. Yeah. The minerals have replaced the calcium, so it's Not it's bad. technically rock, but here's the technique. And I liked that was a cool moment that felt very much like an actual teaching someone how to dig for fossils. Yes, while he's uh, uh, trying to hit on her in the blazing yep. Montana heat around the dinosaur skeleton. <laughs> Haven't we all, though? Yeah. <laughs> it's something we can all relate to. <laughs> My favorite thing, because it made me laugh, and it didn't make me laugh the last time I saw this movie, which was years ago, the, what, what Billy calls rapid prototyping. Yes, yes. They scan the raptor skull, and they create this model of its resonating chamber. Uh, and I love that that's in there because I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, that's silly. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, that's 3D printing. Yep. Which And we're doing stuff like yes, that we are. in real paleontology these days. I did find it uh, funny because in, in the movie, this was just something I noticed this time. They talk about the fact that the machine they're using carves away the material to form what they scan. Yeah, like it sculpts it. How did it sculpt it hollow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it did. That is a thing. That, that was happens. something I noticed this time where I'm like, no, no, 3D printing, yeah, but no, not that. <laughs> right, right. It's got, it's got acid, very, yes, very yes. strategically positioned. Yes. It slides through. It's got little, little robot worms. hands. That... Yes. <laughs> Nanobots. <laughs> but it's... A couple more years of this technology. Wait, yeah, if you're using that to print stuff, why, wouldn't, why aren't you digging with it? And I also, I also had that moment where... This movie has a lot of interesting callbacks. They also have one of those. It This one started with them using technology on a Velociraptor fossil to you know discover something about it with Grant. Very true. Kind of begrudgingly about the technology. I just, I just thought that was an interesting thing that they they keep portraying these uh these techno things at the fossil sites, which is also I that the field is in real life becoming more technological it is and so yeah they've got some cool moments they talk about the resonating chamber and what it suggests for their behavior they also talk more about how grant funding works which is i guess that's kind of interesting yeah that grant grant the character yep. was like begging for funding yeah at that thing i do take slight issue mm-hmm. slight more than slight issue <laughs> with grant because grant like finishes his talk like, they were smarter than primates. I can tell because of their skulls. Yep. He's making these broad... Now, I guess to be fair, he's begging for funding. So he's, he may be trying to be flashy. Maybe he's, yeah, maybe he's being flashy. The There was one thing I wanted to talk about with the science of this movie from a, a behind-the-scenes standpoint. Because Jack Horner, who is the scientific... Uh, uh, advisor. Thank you. Advisor for both the previous movies and this one in the behind the scenes and making of talks a good bit. He talks about the fact that he was brought on very early on when they were making this movie and had a lot of suggestions on how to make things more representative of science, but it actually explains some of the plot points, especially with like the Spinosaurus and what happened with the T-Rex. Because one of the big things that happens in this movie, people is that the Spinosaurus murders the T-Rex to replace it as the main big bad guy. And that, from the movie-making standpoint, they were very clear that that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to bring in a new adversary that would 
one-up the T-Rex. Get the T-Rex out of the way. Yep. New new, new lady in town. Some of the stuff that actually happens with the T-Rex and with the Spinosaurus are actually from Jack Horner's own personal hypotheses about these dinosaurs. Yeah, he was pushing around these these times for the notion of T-Rex as a scavenger. So that's why when you first encounter T-Rex in this movie, it is eating a carcass. Yep. And because of this, he also posited that the Spinosaur was a more active predator, and it was bigger. He even had a line where he said, if if you can uh, scale ferociousness with length, then... And he was saying, <laughs> we can't actually tell their behavior, but if if you do, then Spinosaurus is definitely more ferocious than t-rex but basically he was making he was trying to actively make spinosaurus an active predatory dinosaur while t-rex was not actually yeah so you can see the the touches of jack horner science in the film and so it's interesting because now we're seeing something that was at that time a very new concept for jack himself and not agreed upon by all of other paleontologists so it's, Very true. It's it was an interesting thing for me the fact that this movie is was actually based off some uh controversials a little but yeah partially yeah. controversial dinosaur hypotheses. Indeed. Speaking of real life scientists, we love in these in this franchise to talk about the way the movie portrays its scientists. Like you said, we've got two scientists. We've got Grant and we've got Billy. Billy is Grant's student. Doctor Grant is Doctor Grant. And Ellie shows up at the very beginning of the movie, but she seems to be kind of out of the game. Yeah, she doesn't do much science stuff. She talks to Grant a little bit about science uh, and then kind of moves on. Which is a bummer, because she was great. It is a bummer, absolutely. I like Grant giving his talk. I think he does a very great impersonation of a paleontologist giving a talk. Yeah, that was actually... It, it sounded very much like a real presentation. I also like... In terms, there were two other things that that stuck out to me as as interesting scientist moments. Maybe even three other things. I like that he challenges Billy to classify the Spinosaurus. Yes, I noticed that that professor student relationship. And Billy guesses two other Spinosaurids. Yes, he does. Suchomimus and Baryonyx. I also like that Grant identifies the raptor eggs. Yes. He picks them up. Oh, this is Velociraptor. Yes. Uh, awesome. Mm -hmm. you, you've not only have you actually seen them before. Yep. You're the paleontologist. I also we still get some of those moments where he is analyzing the dinosaurs whilst running from them. When they're running yes, from does. the Velociraptors, there's a moment where he's he's almost trying to translate what they might be saying because he can he can see they are actively talking to each other and he's enraptured by it. He is. He stops running from one at one point and has to be dragged on because he goes, it's calling for help. Yeah. And so it was, it's neat that we still get to see that. On the other hand. On the other hand. It's actually, it's, it's, it's funny because I was made to think about something you said earlier on in this franchise where you pointed out that a common scientist's trope in movies is not analyzing what you're seeing, but explaining what's yes. going on. As though you have all the knowledge. Yep. And boy, does Grant start to do that in this one. Yes, he does. It's it's and it's weird because it's a definite switch. And there's sometimes where he says things and it's one of those where it's like, OK, what? I don't, <laughs> the one that he says first is when they're in the plane and he's like, 
here over this side you can see a herd of brachiosaurs it's like all right cool it's like and they're on the side they're being led by the alpha male what <laughs> yeah how do you know that how, one how do you know how to identify <laughs> gender see the sex of a brachiosaur from a plane <laughs> and b how do you know they're they're led by an alpha male like you saw them for 12 seconds <laughs> last time you were on one of these islands the part that kills me is at the end with the raptors. Yeah, when he starts translating their behaviors. He's, they're challenging us. Yes. They want the eggs, otherwise we'd be dead already. And she thinks you stole the eggs. And he, he's doing that in the first movie. Most of what he did was observing and analyzing. Yep. And there were a couple of moments where he was saying, he, he made a sweeping statement about what was definitively happening this movie it's switched yep a lot of what he's saying is he's just he's he's the translator for exactly. he somehow what's has happening. these inhuman insights into what the dinosaurs are thinking and what they're doing he's the smart one he is he is here to tell us the intelligent things and and we know stuff even billy does it billy does it once i i i, I wrote down one that billy does when he 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 says the the raptors set a trap yep they set a trap and it's it's also, they make him the smart one in the fact that, and this is not unreasonable, you know, it's that he could have this knowledge, but he wasn't shown to particularly have the knowledge beforehand, but he's also like the field guide. He's getting them through the jungle. He's he's the one who's immediately like, all right, we head to the coast for these reasons. We're going to follow the river. For, like, he's right, the right, man right. with the plan. Which I guess, in fairness, that's why they brought them. Yeah. But it's also one of those where it's like, that's that's not a paleontologist trait. <laughs> this, not all of us are Eagle Scouts or park rangers that know how to navigate a landscape. That stood out to me because that wasn't what he was in the first one. Yeah, there, yeah. Were, there weren't times where he was like, you know, this is obviously what we have to do. He was pretty obviously just figuring it out as he went, trying to take care of the kids and trying to head in the right direction. He was not some expert jungle navigator, which they portray him as a little bit in this. And that just that adds to that thing of it's he's towing that line of the, the knowing how scientist. to do lots of stuff. The uber yeah. scientist. Billy's, for the most part, not terrible. He doesn't do he, he doesn't do a lot of anything very sciencey one way or no. the other. He gets a couple moments. So the scientists in this movie, again, they're this mixture of there's some cool scientist moments and then there's some of those. Hints of the more classic tropes mm -hmm. of what you see. From the first to the second to the third, we've definitely shifted more in this direction. Yes, we're seeing little, you know, gradually a little bit more of the monster trends with the dinosaurs, a little bit more of the tropey, science-y stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think this is certainly the weakest scientifically of the movies up until this point. Absolutely. I'd agree with that because all the scientific concepts that they mention are at the beginning. And then the only one that continues throughout is that the raptors are smart, which they do show cool things of the raptors being smart, like in them communicating and them working as a pack. But that's the only one that they carry throughout the movie. Yeah, the science gets left at the door uh, in a lot of ways. As with the last couple episodes, we like to spend most of the time talking about the bigger stuff, maybe a few examples here and there. But we do like to nitpick, so we like to give ourselves each just a, just a quick moment to pick on something and have what we like to call 
mini rants. Will, would you like to mini rant? I would. I, mine has to do with two moments in this movie that are very similar in weird ways that add to that horror movie type feeling, that monster movie uh, uh, scenario. One is when they're you know, parasailing off the back of the boat at the very beginning of the movie. The boat goes through some mist and the boat gets gets jostled. And when the comes out of the mist, all the people on board are missing and the sail the the canopy's been torn up and obviously there's been an attack on the speeding boat out along the <laughs> ocean that did not sink the boat. Somehow and it's not innately said who did this, but it's pretty heavily suggested, I felt, that it was the Spinosaurus, since that's the monster of the movie and it's shown it's to be aquatic. That's all. That's yeah. always what I assumed it was meant to be. But regardless of what it was, how did something get onto the boat, kill everyone, and then get off the boat without disrupting the boat at all, and just let it keep going? And then, after they land on the island, the kid gets out of the parachute, and the guy evidently dies right after the kid gets out of the parachute, because he's still in the parachute harness, where something killed him and then left his body there. <laughs> And like, did it just kill him for the heck of it? Did he die for some unknown reason? Like, people keep dying in this movie with very thematic deaths that make no sense. (laughs) (laughs) These animals are very carefully murdering people without disrupting anything around them. And it's so weird, and it makes no sense. It makes for cool moments in the movie that are completely ridiculous. And I, yeah, it always bugged me. My mini rant is the moment that made me come up with the idea to do mini rants Yes, in these, because I couldn't otherwise justify complaining about this. Early on in the movie, they land the plane. A couple people are they're, they're standing on the side of the forest, and they hear a roar coming from the forest. And the camera zooms in dramatically. And Billy says, with all the confidence of someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about, that's a Tyrannosaurus. And Grant says with all the gravitas of the only interesting character in the movie. (laughs) I don't think so. Sounds bigger. I hate that line. I hate those two words. They are my least favorite two words in the entire franchise. Sounds bigger. (laughs) Because the movie treats them like it's this, it's part of that monster, you know, oh, we're building everything up. Sounds bigger. What do you mean sounds bigger? First of all, (laughs) (laughs) Bring me a giraffe and a cicada and I will teach you the folly of pretending you can tell the size of a creature from the noise it makes. (laughs) Second of all, the Spinosaurus and the T-Rex are the same size. Like, Yes, technically, one of them is going to be a little longer and one of them might be heavier, but they're in the same weight class. Like if they were wrestlers, they'd be in the same division. Yes. Even when they're fighting, they're pretty much the same. These are six or seven ton animals. You're telling me you can hear the extra 500 pounds that one of them has on the other. <laughs> and on top of that, Grant has only ever heard one large theropod. And I don't mean one species. I <laughs> yes. mean a single large theropod. <laughs> How do you know what the different theropods sound like? And you can tell their size based on... And the movie treats it like such a big, fantastic moment. And it's it's dumb and I hate it and it's stupid. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us <laughs> for this third episode in our franchise analysis of the Jurassic Park movies. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. 
As with the last couple episodes, we will continue this discussion after the science review into just some of our personal musings. As you can imagine, we have some on this mm-hmm, movie. Mm-hmm. And those uh, we put together as bonus content. We throw them up on Patreon because uh, they're not so much science. There's not so much learning to be had. It's mostly just us chatting to each other. So if you're a patron, keep an eye out for that. If you're not a patron, hey, think about it. We will be back next week, as we have been doing every week this month, to talk about Jurassic World. Yes. The last one before we finish it up by going to see Fallen Kingdom. Indeed. So thank you for joining us, as always, and thank you in advance for hanging out with us next time as we continue. Tune in then, folks. Bye. Bye.